This is Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by America's beverage companies. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, why college athletes are about to get paid and the state of Halloween candy sales. But first, the future of parking garages. Okay, yeah, look, I, I know parking garages sound like one of the most boring, lowest tech things left in American cities. Giant hunks of concrete that maybe just maybe have a self-serve credit card reader for tickets. And if you're really lucky, a coat of fresh paint. But they also might be urban America's greatest real estate redevelopment opportunity, namely because in an autonomous driving future, they might not be needed anymore. Seriously, imagine a city in which suburbanites are no longer driving in for work or play. Instead, they're coming there via a network of self-driving cars that circle around and circle around until they need to charge, and then maybe do that in a less dense part of town or even back out in the suburbs. In that case, most of today's parking garages, some of which take up entire city blocks, become obsolete and can be turned into everything from offices to condos to cloud kitchens to parks, or maybe even knocked down to make room for such things. The bottom line here is that the blandest piece of America's urban architecture is poised to become much, much more interesting. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios City's editor, Kim Hart. But first, this. ProRata is presented by America's Beverage Companies. Our plastic bottles are 100% recyclable, including the caps. We're working together to reduce our industry's plastic footprint with a new initiative called Every Bottle Back. Because the more bottles we remake, the less new plastic we use. Learn more at everybottleback.org. We're joined now by Axios City's editor, Kim Hart. Let's start with this. Why is there talk of repurposing parking garages now, given that we still aren't really in the self-driving future yet, right? People are still driving into work. You're at Axios headquarters. There's a parking garage under it. Right. And my car is parked inside of it. But I think what developers are contending with is you know, when they're building developments, they're looking at a 30-year lifetime that they've got to plan and make sure it's relevant and usable. And so, with all of the transitions and shifts, even though they're not right now, they're not imminent exactly. Autonomous cars are not really are not on the roads, and who knows when that will actually be. They are trying to plan for that so that in 10 years and 15 years, when their buildings are only halfway through their lifespan at a minimum, that they're able to think about, well, maybe when parking garages are less in demand, when there aren't as many cars on the road needing those parking spots, we can transition it into another use that is still marketable. To redevelop these, how much do zoning rules have to get changed? I assume that most parking garages are indeed zoned as parking garages or something like parking garages. And is the the feeling simply that you know 5 years 10 years 15 years from now if cities realize and city you know city councils realize there are just a lot less cars coming in it'll be easy to get those changed that's what developers and architects are really hoping right now most cities have uh, zoning requirements that for any large scale residential or commercial building you have to have a certain percentage and usually a pretty high percentage of parking because for the past 50 years parking has been an important and necessary amenity that people are looking for with those buildings. So, getting that changed will be important to how buildings are actually able to build. The problem, architects and designers have told me, is that most people haven't really thought about the fact that they can be repurposed right now, or that existing buildings can be repurposed, and what the options might be without those zones. So, for example, Tesla and ChargePoint, in an effort to get electric vehicles further deployed, they are pushing states to require 
EV charging spots be included in even a renovation or a new project so that even if those spots aren't used immediately for electric vehicles, they will be ready within the next 10 years when the demand is finally there. These buildings obviously were built as parking garages, which means two things, uh, which means, among other things, they don't usually have walls, outer walls, or at least not complete ones. Obviously, they can hold a lot of weight because they're holding all these cars. But can a lot of these garages, most of which were built you know, a while ago, can they actually be easily converted into whether that be residential housing or into office space, et cetera? Or is it more what you need? You basically just have to knock them down, and then what you have is a really good piece of property. I think you're going to see both. I mean, for a lot of developers, they're going to say, I don't want to go through the hassle of trying to figure out how to repurpose this structure that is really ugly, this cavernous concrete thing that has ramps and low ceilings and uh, badly placed poles and support structures. And they're just going to say, let's just knock it down. But that's not always possible. When these parking garages are kind of integrated into larger developments, they're underground, they're above ground, they're everywhere in between. And there will be in this kind of short-term period, this transitional period, where some creative architects and designers will say, well, what if we're able to turn it into, at least for a short period of time, into a staging area for autonomous or electric vehicles? Maybe we can use empty space as a staging area for logistics, for e-commerce delivery to help with that last mile piece of delivery so that we don't have quite as many e-commerce delivery trucks clogging city streets. But when it comes to housing, that's a higher bar because it's really hard for a lot of people to envision how those dark windowless parking garages could be turned into something where people actually want to live. You've got a piece up on Axios today about this topic, and you've got some examples of projects that are already underway or have already been completed, some kind of parking garage transitions. Give me one or two. What are the most interesting ones that you've seen so far? Well, I think the most kind of obvious ones are turning the roofs into urban farms and using them for urban agriculture in a place where there's in, in really built up cities like Denver, for example, where you're just you don't have as much land within city limits. So they're using the top where you get that sunlight. And on the urban farm aspect, there's an interesting example in Paris where they've actually used the dark under uh, sub layers of, a par- of an abandoned parking garage to farm uh, plants that don't need light, like mushrooms and root plants. They're filling the floor with dirt, basically? Well, they're actually using a system that's kind of nutrient-rich water to grow them oh, so rather than, okay. yeah, right. So, it's, uh, they've kind of re-engineered how a farm could work in one of these structures. But one of the most interesting things, and, and probably more of the creative and things that you're going to start seeing in the near term, are using it as kind of flex space for on-demand services. So, Travis Kalanick's new project post-Uber, which is kind of ironic because Uber is seen, Uber and Lyft is seen as one of the driving forces for the decreasing demand for parking garages, he is finding ways to use uh extra parking capacity in garages for kitchens, for on-demand and delivery-only restaurants. So that's an interesting way that we're seeing creative uses that doesn't necessarily mean a whole-scale redevelopment of the entire garage, but using pieces of it uh, to turn it into something where there is already a demand. Kim Hart, editor of Axios Cities, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thank you very much for joining. Thanks. My final two, right after this. ProRata is presented by America's Beverage Companies. Not all plastic is the same. Our 100% recyclable plastic bottles and caps are made to be remade. And we want every bottle back so that our bottles can become new bottles and not end up in oceans, rivers, and beaches. That's why we're working together to reduce our industry's plastic footprint with a new initiative called Every Bottle Back. Because the more bottles we remake, the less new plastic we use. Learn more at everybottleback.org. 
Pro Rata is presented by America's Beverage Companies. Not all plastic is the same. Our 100% recyclable plastic bottles and caps are made to be remade. And we want every bottle back so that our bottles can become new bottles and not end up in oceans, rivers, and beaches. That's why we're working together to reduce our industry's plastic footprint with a new initiative called Every Bottle Back. Because the more bottles we remake, the less new plastic we use. Learn more at everybottleback.org. Now it's time for my final two. And first up was yesterday's vote by the NCAA's Board of Governors, which will allow college athletes to receive compensation for their names, images, and likenesses. For example, when a real-life college quarterback appears in a video game in the future, he'll get paid. If a real-life college soccer player has jerseys with her name sold on them, she'll get paid. To date, all of that money has gone either to the schools or to the NCAA itself. So why now? Basically because the NCAA got forced into it by state government. Most notably California, where Governor Gavin Newsom recently signed a bill into law that would have let the state's college athletes accept endorsement deals by 2023. Other states were threatening to follow suit, which put the NCAA between a rock and a hard place, either maintain its historical position and invalidate dozens or maybe hundreds of schools or give in. They chose the latter and early next year will begin hammering out details of how all of this will work. And finally, market research firm IHS Market predicts that Halloween candy spending will increase 3.6% this year, reaching a total of $2.7 billion. That's actually a bit of a slower growth pace than last year, due possibly to a 3.9% price increase. But remember, for kids, all the candy is still free. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Candy Corn Day. Yeah, exactly. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.